thought I got to clean up up here. I need room. rain. It is rain, and I know we haven't seen it for a while, but I hear it, it, it really is what it is. It's rain. And it's good to welcome uh, both these wide sides of the classroom to us. I'm not sure what, not sure why the wings today are in zip, different zip codes <laughs> than the other rest of the class. Uh, yeah. Um, I think maybe somebody knows something we don't. Um, maybe it's, yeah. Maybe someone anticipating that the lesson's going to be, uh, yeah. They're going to need a quick exit today, and so wide aisles. Uh, well, I hope you've had a good week. Uh, I've had a really good week. And... Um, it was fall break. Um, I, I did, I mean, I got two days off, so I'm not complaining. I mean, I got Thursday and Friday off, and um, some of you have asked about our son, Andrew, who's been in Wyoming since, we sent him to Wyoming on graduation day. Graduated from Davidson, we kissed him goodbye after he got his diploma. Actually, he gave us his diploma and said, hold on to this for me. I'll see you later. And he drove to Wyoming and we saw him. He's been here for the last week or so. And um, it's been a real joy. I, I get to say my joys and my prayer concerns because I got the mic, right? Um, but it's been just a joy. Um, Thursday, because I had the day off, uh, two of us went hiking. I had them all to myself. That was fun. Um, we, we love the balds, but we've never been on uh, Little Hump. And so we were up on Little Hump did about 10 miles, um, still feeling that. Um, that was beautiful. And then on Friday, um, we did also did something we'd never done before, and that was um, we heard trains all day. <laughs> we actually did hear trains all day. Um, we were in Jonesboro for the Storytelling Festival. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that we've lived in Johnson City 25 years and we've never gone for all kind of complicated reasons, like we've had children in our household for 28 years, so, um, which meant we didn't have the time or the money to go to Jonesboro. Um, but Andrew said, I really wanted to go, so we'd already actually planned on going, so it was just fun. Um, you, a lot of you, most of you have been there. A lot of people who are here today are there <laughs> this morning because they told us we saw them. They said, we're not going to be there on Sunday, sorry. Um, but they're in good places here and good stories. And um, there's something, uh, one of the things I love about Andrew is he has a fantastic laugh. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the tensions in our marriage um, is about who gets to sit next to Andrew when he's likely to laugh. And so we were sort of jockeying positions, and finally we thought, why don't we just put him in the middle? Um, we can both enjoy it, because I don't know, I listen to the stories, but most of the time I was sort of watching Andrew out of the corner of my eye, because uh, he's got a fantastic laugh. And uh, if you're a parent, you know there's something really satisfying about seeing your children laugh sort of in a full-bodied way. There's some real joy there. 
So that's that's my joy for the week is just being with Andrew and having him to myself and uh, getting to see him laugh. Um, I, yeah. What is he doing? Is that Linda? Am I hearing Linda? Yes. Yeah. What is he doing? Funny you should ask. I was getting ready to say, you always are a step ahead of me. Yes, just remember. At least one. Yes. Yes. That was uh, 37605 over there. <laughs> Comment from that zip code. That was Linda, for those of you who didn't recognize um, He was in Wyoming uh, working at uh, a ranch, uh, putting his uh, Davidson education to good use, uh, washing dishes and, you know, riding horses and those things. Um, but he's leaving tomorrow morning uh, for three months in Columbia, and that's the one in South America, not South Carolina. Um, and uh, a friend of his and Andrew are going to be traveling, working. Um, you know, you can hire yourself out to these local farms for a room and board, and they're going to travel around Columbia for three months. Um, so pray for him. Uh, pray for me and uh, and his mother. Um, yes, just pray for us, and that's a, an anxious thing, as you know. A lot of you had your children travel and do other things, and it's usually fine. But you know, it's it's when you wake up in the middle of the night saying, "I have no idea where he is." <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's been a really joyful week uh, to reconnect with him before he before he heads out for three months. So we're still on the Apostles' Creed. But the good news is, we're going to the second article today. We've already made it out of the first article. That's the good news. Uh, I think it's also the good news, but um, you might think it's the bad news, is the second article is by far the longest article. <laughs> uh, not by happenstance, right? Um, that the, the second article of the Creed, which is about Jesus, um, is by far the longest article of any of the creeds um, because the center of our faith right, is, in, is in Jesus. And so there's a lot to say there. And so um, more good news is we're actually just going to, I've been wrestling all week, but how much of the second article of the Apostles' Creed we're going to deal with today. Um, the good news is we're going to deal with two words. <laughs> yeah, two words, the first uh, two words. Um, and, it, and it's going to take us the whole time. So you're thinking, he must be a professor. <laughs> Who else could talk for 25 minutes on two words? But these are not just any two words, right? These are not just any two words. Um, so I'm going to read you, um, just in case you don't have the Apostles' Creed, and the, I'm going to read you the Apostles' Creed first, the second article. Then I'm going to read you the Nicene Creed, second article, just so you can get in your head uh, all that was said about uh, Jesus in the two creeds. And I'm going to read it because I don't trust myself uh, to say it from memory because I'll get it wrong and everyone will be up in arms. So the Apostles' Creed. Um, you remember the first article we've already dealt with over the last, you know, six months, and no, it wasn't that long. 
Um, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, right? We got that down now, right? And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born from the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, descended to the dead on the third day, rose again from the dead, ascended to the heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. That's the second article of the Apostles' Creed. I know what most of you are thinking are, help him Jesus, how long is that going to take us to get through? <laughs> you can be thankful we're not doing the Nicene Creed. Here's what the Nicene Creed says in the second article. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came into existence, who, because of, of us men and because of our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man and was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, and suffered and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, of whose kingdom there will be no end. Let's hear it for the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> so, so today, um, and by the way, sometime in the next few weeks I'm going to make copies of both creeds and haven't decided might, I think I might just slip a, a sheet inside your hymnal um, so on Sundays when we're talking about them and you want to look at you can have it in front of you but I haven't got that done yet but coming attractions so today we're dealing with Jesus Christ okay uh, the second article of the creed is about Jesus Christ um, that's just the first phrase, right? Next week we'll deal with the next phrase, right? Uh, son and Lord. But today we're talking about Jesus Christ, which just seems so simple. You're thinking, this guy up here at the, the microphone must think we're idiots. We've been Christians all our lives. Uh, we know all about Jesus Christ, and you do, and so do I. Um, but today, we, we were, we're looking at these creeds because we're trying to remind ourselves that uh, these are the central uh, confessions uh, that we make. Uh, they're not just old, stodgy words, old creeds written that set on a shelf, but they, they are things that remind us of who we are. And it's easy. I think if you've been a Christian all your life, which many of you have been, um, from as long as you can remember, you've been hearing stories about Jesus, as well you should have. Um, but just so easy, uh, after doing this all of our lives and being uh, inheriting this legacy for 2,000 years of people who've been doing the same, uh, to forget how, uh, at one level, how hard-fought these confessions are and how counter they are to what so many people, other people's deepest convictions are. 
And so we say, you know, the very heart of our creed is this second article of creed about Jesus. And we, and we said from the very beginning that this creed isn't written in sort of a linear fashion, like we'll just deal with God first and then we'll go on to other things. No, I mean, Jesus, I mean, the whole creed is about the Trinity, right? These three articles. Um, and it's true that the first article is about God the Father, but right, the reason it's God the Father is because God has revealed God's self as the Father of Jesus Christ. So it's not just any God that we talked about in the first article. It's really important to remember that. Uh, it's not just any God that we're talking about in the first article. And it's not, and so we talked about God being the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and also of us through adoption. And we also said that um, when you talk about God the Father Almighty in the first article of the Creed, we're not just talking about any God of power. We're not talking about power in any kind of undifferentiated way. But we're talking about a God who reveals God's very self as a God who's capable of bringing to fruition the deep purposes of this God. This God who reveals God's self as love, as this relentless pursuit of the well-being of all that God has created. And we see that most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. We see God's character most fully revealed in Jesus Christ. So we've already been talking about Jesus uh, in the first article. We couldn't help it. right? So we're not, we don't have to wait till we get to the second article to talk about Jesus. But today we do begin to talk explicitly about Jesus. And we want to remind ourselves that for Jesus' contemporaries, what we affirm in the second article of the Creed, even at the very beginning, which seems so simple, so straightforward, uh, it sounds like we're just stating his name, right? Jesus Christ, right? Um, what could be controversial about that? Uh, why would people have wrestled with that? Funny you should ask. Let's, let's just think about that. Okay. Well, to begin, I mean, one of the things we have is this name Jesus, which was a common name uh, among Jewish people. You know this. Um, it's the equivalent of, of Joshua or Yeshua. Certainly plenty of Joshua's in Scripture, right? And there would have been lots of uh, Jesuses in Jesus' day. Uh, I know we have a kind of reticence to name people Jesus in our society, uh, in America. Uh, a lot of you don't know, you didn't grow up next to, you know, Jesus Smith or Jesus Jones. Um, but other cultures don't have that reticence necessarily, right? I mean, there are lots of Jesuses around um, and things like that. But, but we have this kind of reticence uh, for whatever reason. Um, but it's important to say it was a, it was a common name. Uh, but it also was a common name that had a history, right? It had a history. Um, and it had a meaning, right? It had a meaning. Uh, Mary and Joseph don't come up with this name. I mean, they didn't sort of, you know, go to the um, sort of Palestinian Walmart and uh, pick out a baby book 
and sit up late at nights thinking, hey, Joseph, you know, what do we think we should name this guy? Um, well, he, I kind of like Bart. Um, well, I don't really like Bart much. I was thinking maybe Ted. Um, and no, I mean, they didn't really do that, right? I mean, Mary is told by an angel that you're to call, call him Jesus because he's going to save the people from their sins. And Joseph is told the same thing, right? That you're to call this, this son of yours Jesus, which means, you know, Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. That sort of hints, right? I mean, sometimes we, we don't make as much of names. I know some of you, I mean, I'm sure all of you know what your name means. But most of you didn't think that your name necessarily was sort of foreshadowing of who you were going to be necessarily. Maybe you did. I mean, um, I was pretty late coming to understand what my name meant, um, which is a sort of a compound word of two Greek words that means lover of horses. <laughs> right? Phil, which means love, and hip, like hip bow. Bottomless, right? Like water horse. Um, I, actually, I actually, I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean it's still possible. Uh, but at this point in my life, I have no deep affection for large equine mammals. Uh, but it's possible that I will at some point become a lover of horses. But right now, you know, I just don't do my, I like dogs. Right? Um, but again, I didn't name myself. I don't know that my parents named me. Um, well, I do know, actually, but my parents did not name me because they thought someday I would be a lover of horses, nor did they have some angel revealed to them that you should call this one Philip because he will someday be a lover of horses. No, they named me Philip because my mother, who this was, I was the fourth son, and they really hoped I'd be a girl, um, at, at least were grateful uh, to their... Uh, obstetrician whose name was Dr. Philip something, I don't remember. So I'm named after the one, the other person responsible for bringing me into the world, right? Still works. Still, it, yeah, I'm still trying to live into that. Um, <laughs> still works if you've been a girl that could name you Philly. Yeah, right. Or Philippa, Philippa. Um, so, but Jesus has this, this auspicious name, right? Um, but the one thing that's intended in the creed to, to remind us that seems so simple is that uh, he, he was a historical person who lived in a particular place at a particular time, right? Um, when you're talking about God the Father Almighty, you think you're talking about God, a transcendent being um, that's you know, invisible. Um, and yet, in the second article of the Creed, it turns to something that to you and I seems so obvious. That we should be confessing our trust in this person. This person who lived a couple thousand years ago in a particular place who was born to particular people, who grew up in a particular place, who lived out his days in a particular place. 
that's really weird when you start to think about it. And it was particularly offensive to the sort of Hellenistic Greek uh, influenced culture of that part of the world that had a highly influential. I mean, the ancient Greeks didn't have any trouble talking about God, but God was, God was transcendent. Uh, in, in many ways, I mean, God, the God of the philosophers, I mean, was, was not something that would show up on earth. That would, and we, we came across this last week, right? We were talking about God the Father being the creator of heaven and earth. We talked about the Genesis story and creating good. And we said we had those, those people to, called the Gnostics, right? Or the Gnostics. Right? Who, who, who thought that the world and matter was evil. Right? And so, so you can't have you know, someone that you worship and exalt as somehow being God. We'll get to that next week. Spoiler alert. Um, be a, in, in a human flesh. Right? I mean, human flesh, human matter is what human beings at their best are trying to escape. You're trying to escape this material world. And so the idea that at the very center is this large article in the Creed about this guy, this human being named Jesus, is incredibly offensive. And so we might be, that, that's hard for us to get our head around because that's, we have been taught that for so long. But we forget that one of the earliest heresies, one of the earliest false teachings, that you even see it beginning uh, before the New Testament is finished. So this is really early. Are people who are denying that Jesus actually came in the flesh. Right? Um, one of the, here's where you get your money's worth for Sunday school, okay? One of the earliest heresies is called docetism. Okay, Dose, everybody say that out loud. Docetism. Very good. It comes from a Greek word that means to appear or to seem. And these people thought, of course, God can't come in the flesh. That would just be so inappropriate, so beneath a God to be incarnate in human material flesh. This stuff is evil. Early church said, no, I mean, you even hear this. Listen to the echoes of this. If you, um, if you look in first or in second John, you begin to hear. Uh, it's not full-blown yet, just coming, but you begin to hear it. Listen to chapter 4 of 1 John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Isn't that interesting? Testing the spirits, lots of spirits, and, and, and the test 
for, for this community is, do they confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? You're thinking, I never really thought about Jesus being human. I just always know he's human. I, I have trouble with Jesus being God, maybe. That's not what was the issue here. The issue was, what does it mean that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? And even in the second epistle, if you turn over a couple pages to that short letter of John, verse 7, 2 John, Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Okay? This was an obstacle. This was an obstacle in the early church. Huge obstacle. That Jesus, that, that God could have such intimate relationship to human beings that, you know, what we call the incarnation, right? That big word for God, you know, carne, like carnivore, right? It means flesh, right? That, that God would deign, God would stoop to be enfleshed into human form. That's incredibly offensive, right? It's incredibly offensive. Uh, and if you let your mind just sort of think about it philosophically, conceptually, you, you can get yourself there without too much trouble. That somehow, that God would, that any God that who's really God and transcendent would somehow take on this? Really? I mean... There was a time when probably all of us were a little more enamored with our flesh than we are now. Um, I mean, I'm still grateful for it, right? Still holds me together in some way. Um, but most of us are not maybe quite as enamored with it as we used to be. Um, and this, this mystery at the heart Right, of the Christian faith, that God is incarnate in some way in this human being named Jesus. Right? That's, that's pretty incredible. And, and so to stand up, you know, before the Eucharist or in a worship service or at a baptism or at a funeral and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. This person, I, I put my trust, my confidence in this person named Jesus, who was an itinerant, itinerant prophet and miracle worker uh, 2,000 years ago. That's a pretty strange thing to do if you hadn't been doing it all your life. And it's, there's a lot that's offensive to the human mind about that. So, the, so this Jesus, this Jesus is a human being, was a human being. And that's, that's not all that he was, but he was not less than that. Okay. Um, in fact, as we've said in here before, but we'll just say it again because I don't think you can say it too many times. I mean, not only was Jesus more than human, but he, again, he wasn't less than that. He, he was more human than I'm human. 
And I dare say he's more human than you're human. And this takes us back to the first article where God creates us as human beings and pronounces that we are good. God doesn't say. You don't go back and read the Genesis story and God, God creates our souls and then slips us into some evil bodies and says, well, their souls are good, but the other stuff is junk, but they'll get rid of that later. No. God says all of us is good. And that gets affirmed when God takes on our flesh. If you ever wondered, you know, is being a human being a bad thing? You can't look in the face of Jesus Christ and say, no, it isn't. Because God became one of us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That's an extraordinary claim. And it's easy to forget, if you're like me, where I just kind of grow up, I've heard the name of Jesus, and of course he's a human being. Um, and it's all the other stuff we want to say, but it's important to remind ourselves that, that Jesus is fully human. Which reminds us, and part of the good news, right? Part of the good news is that God is trying, God sends Jesus so that we can have our humanity renewed, restored. That's, that's part of what God's doing. God's trying to make us all more human, human in the way we were designed to be. And that's part of the gospel. God is in the process of making me more human. God is in the process of making you more human, not less. There's nothing wrong with our humanity as it was designed, right? It's beautiful. It's good. It's so good that it can, in some mysterious way, right, be the temple of God. That's extraordinary. That's Jesus who we trust in. But then we also have what's come to be Jesus' last name, Christ, Jesus Christ, Phil Kennison, right, Tom Terry, Jesus Christ. And you know, that's not really what it was, right? I mean, it's, it's a title. Um, in fact, some of the earliest creeds, and, and even in Scripture, right, calls, calls him Christ Jesus, right? Um, but yeah, after a while, it just almost just becomes his name, but this notion of that Jesus is Messiah. And if, that, if the Jesus being human was particularly offensive uh, to those philosophers and those influenced by the Greek milieu, um, this calling Jesus Christ um, was particularly offensive to those, um, or at least problematic, potentially problematic, uh, to the early Christians who were Jews, which is most of them early on, right? Um, because they had pretty significant expectations about who Messiah was going to be. And you recall that Messiah, again, is just the word for anointed, the anointed one. 
And, and the Jews anointed kings, they anointed priests, they anointed some prophets. But it was God's way of setting someone apart, right, um, for a purpose. And, and so there were lots of, quote, messiahs in the Old Testament, right? Lots of anointed ones. And so you might recall David at one point says um, that he, he, how could I possibly lift my hand against Saul, God's Messiah, God's anointed one? So it's not as if no one had ever been called Messiah, um, but they were waiting for the Messiah, not just a Messiah. Right. Because there was this expectation that God was going to intervene and, and we know, you know, the sort of longing and the sort of promise that it would be from the seed of David. Um, and even you even hear the echoes of this um, in the first chapter of Romans, when Paul opens his letter to the Romans. What does he say? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to me, apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Right? and was declared to be the Son of God with power. So this notion that God was going to send a Messiah, what's most peculiar, actually, if you read, um, for most of us, uh, if you read through the Gospels, um, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, is how reticent Jesus is to sort of proclaim himself as Messiah. Almost, I mean, that's, he does occasionally ask people or people proclaim him to be, and he doesn't deny it. But he's a little shifty about it uh, uh, from time to time. You might think, that seems strange. Well, it, it, it does at one level seem strange. Um, I mean, if you're coming as the Messiah, why wouldn't you want people to know that you're the Messiah? Um... Lots of possible reasons for this. I think likely an important reason. Making it, everyone, everyone look, wish everyone well. They're making use of the wide aisles. We told you that they would. Uh, quick exit for the choir. Um, I think Jesus might have been reticent uh, to sort of say, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm here, finally. I am the long-awaited-for one. Uh, thank you very much. Um, because Jesus knows what we know now, but they didn't know at the time, and that is this anointed one um, wasn't what they were looking for. And so, I mean, Jesus is anointed. He has a mission and a purpose that God has set him aside, and it is a peculiar particular mission for Jesus alone. But it's not what they were expecting. And so I think Jesus has the sense that if, if people are actually going to hear and understand who he really is, they're going to have to come to see, they're going to have to come to change their minds over time about what it means to be not just a messiah, but the Messiah. 
And so you recall uh, when disciples of John the Baptist sent word to Jesus, like, are you the one or should we wait for another? Right? And what is Jesus? Jesus doesn't say, tell John the Baptist, I'm the guy. No. Nor does he send back and say, uh, I'm the one and the war horses are on their way and we're going to kick some Roman tail really soon. <laughs> Doesn't say that. Right? What's he say? You remember? It's in Matthew. Oh, one of them. Exactly. Exactly. Jesus is doing all these healings. Um, we'll read the Luke, Luke sections in Luke 2. Yeah, it says, what, what should I tell them? Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. Well, that's weird. And then when Jesus asks his disciples, like, who are people saying that I am? Right? And... You know, what we sometimes call the good confession in Matthew 16. All kinds of possibilities, right? And then finally, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon of Jomon. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You just didn't figure this out on your own. But my father in heaven, I think it's on to say these wonderful things about Peter and how he's going to build the church uh, upon this rock, this confession. And then it says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. Right? And you recall, and Peter says, whoa, 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 whoa. Not on my watch. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. When I said you were Messiah, that's not including any of that stuff. And after saying these beautiful things to Peter says, get behind me, Satan. Right? And so this notion that this anointed one will, will suffer um, is something we're still trying to get our heads around, if we're honest. What does it mean that this Jesus comes to suffer? And particularly, maybe this week, as we've been mindful, as we've mentioned, about all the suffering going on around us, um, whether it's from tragedy or from hurricanes or from whatever uh, people's uh, own illness and disease and death and dying and all the suffering that we see all around us. Um, what do we do with the fact? What difference does it make that we stand up and affirm that we believe in Jesus Christ? We place our trust in Jesus Christ. This person who lived 2,000 years ago, who was God's anointed, the Messiah, who we confess was willing to step into our suffering, not stand aloof from it, 
not become a part of a problem about how to figure it all out. God didn't mail in an answer to the problem of suffering, the problem of evil in the world. Here's how to make sense of it. No, God stepped in the middle of it. God stepped into the middle of our suffering. God willingly took on our suffering. Again, that's pretty offensive at one level to a lot of people. And if you hadn't heard that your whole life, you might find it puzzling. But this is the kind of God that we worship and serve. One who doesn't give us easy answers, doesn't make the problem of evil and suffering go away by snapping some uh, divine fingers, but a God who enters fully in to our suffering and promises that we will not be alone. That's good news, and that's part, just part, of what we're saying when we stand up and affirm that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do confess to being overwhelmed by the suffering we experience and the suffering of those around us. We don't even know how to thank you for your willingness to enter into our pain and our suffering for our good. May we be reminded that you really are, in Jesus Christ, a God who is with us, Emmanuel. And may that bring us some measure of comfort on those days when the suffering and pain and confusion threaten to overwhelm us. May we be people of hope who believe in your good creation, people who believe that you have created us good, people of hope who believe that you are recreating us, restoring, renewing, redeeming us for your glory. We pray this through the one who revealed this most fully to us, even Jesus Christ. Amen.